2: up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Huxborough. How are you feeling? I'm doing great. Fantastic. I
3: didn't hit leave when uh, Zoom asked me, is it okay if this is being recorded? I <laughs> stared at it for a really long time and made sure that I was clicking on the right one. Listen. They're very close
2: together. We've we've been working. We've been burning the midnight oil this month. Yeah. So you know you're doing the best you can, and I I uh, I think you need to give yourself some props.
3: Yeah. Look. I mean, before the before we hit record, before before I actually did hit record, um, uh, we were giving props to ourselves for
2: we were we've done a lot of work in a small we've done th-
3: amount of time. So a lot
2: of work this month. That's right. Yes. Um. Which I think is is wonderful. What's it's nice? It's nice. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Now I
3: saw. I think it was a TikTok, but you know I'm an older woman, so it was a reel to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it made me question myself. And I'm curious where you will be at. I cannot wait. It was a group of women, and it Mm -hmm. was they're all on vacation, and it was how many pairs of underwear did each of us bring for a 10-day trip. And then it shows each person and how many pairs they brought. And I know how many I would bring. So I'm just curious for a 10-day trip. Yeah, say you're going for 10
2: days. How many pairs you bringing? 22. <laughs> if I had them, 22. Wow. Okay. There's a method to my madness for the record, but Okay. Tropical vacation I'm assuming. I mean, if you, if, if it needs to be, if you need
3: a, if you need a locate, if does location change? It does. Because if it's somewhere warm,
2: I need changes. When you're going to get sweaty. Yep. Oh, a sweaty crotch. You got to swap that out. Sweaty butt crack means, guess what? Swap them out.
3: Great call. Great call.
2: Now, granted, I'll never go through all of them, but I need to have the option. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, where are you at? 10
3: days. Oh, 10 days. Easily 14. Yeah. Because there has to be, has to be at least one a day. At At least. least. But then you need the extra in case a random period shows up. And then you need some in case, whoa, pissed myself. (laughs) 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 You know know what I mean? You don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. All of a sudden, while packing, I'm always like, oh, God, what if I accidentally all of a sudden just don't know how to get to a toilet on time? (laughs) you know all because for some reason in my mind that's gonna happen when i am on vacation which calm down always always minimum four pair extra over however many days i am
2: yeah i may take fewer if it wasn't tropical sure but chances are no i'm gonna probably still take 22 pairs if i can if i have them if i've got that many i think i probably do (laughs) I mean, I'm digging through the drawer, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I just don't want, I need to have the option. Oh, yeah. You know, just in case. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean,
3: I'm Um, watching this video and some of these girls were saying like eight. Eight. And I was like, but you're going for 10. It's not even a pair a day. Is she sending out for a laundering service? Uh, there was a note. I think one, two girls said eight, but one specifically said eight. She's hoping there's going to be a washer, and I was like, "Best of luck." It looks like they went to like
2: some tropical Europey place. Tropical but here's Europe-y. my question: Do you want to be spending time doing laundry on your vacation when they're the smallest item for you to throw a couple extra pairs in a suitcase? I just don't know whether that would be worth it to me. I don't want to be looking for a, a washer dryer on a 10-day vacation. <gasps>
3: Hunting it down? Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know about that. She's going to be wearing bathing
2: suit bottoms on the way home. Heck yeah. Or or she's going commando half the time, which I fully respect. Um, I My anxiety couldn't handle it. Yeah. No. Not in a million years. Yeah. I'm going away next week for... Right. Uh, seven, eight, nine, 10. 10, 11, 11 days, and I am already trying to figure out. It's funny you bring this up because I've been thinking about like
0: how <laughs> many how many
3: pairs, how many pairs of
2: underwear am I bringing? Like, what do I? But also, how many like because I am a notorious overpacker. I like to have sure. options. You never know what the weather is going to be like depending on where you're going. Um, but I have been it's been on my mind like i wake up in the morning yeah. going three
3: pairs of shorts Two well and jeans? that's the that's the thing you're going to multiple stops yeah so it's and with various climates so it's
2: tough to it's tough to gauge yes yes i get all that. in canada though all in canada so it's not like you know it isn't like i'm going to uh again somewhere in the Well, I was going to say somewhere in the humid, swampy south, but let's be honest. um, There are places in Canada that get that humid and swampy in the summer. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to Louisiana, I went to Baton Rouge and I came outside and I was like, oh, this is just an extreme version of southern Ontario. (laughs) Like it was like, I know this feeling like it was that real humid, wet air. I was like, yeah,
3: I know this. I
2: grew up in this. I do not own enough underwear to travel to Baton Rouge. I think. I think, and I think well because then I've also spent some time in the deep summer in in like July in uh, Louisiana in New Orleans, and I got to tell you, I went through underwear on that trip. I was definitely changing them twice a day, definitely, because if it was one of those things where it was like, got to go back to my room. And then we're going to go, whatever, whatever, not enough time to take a full shower. I was like, I got to change underwear. I'm sure I was being overly sensitive, but it was like, it just didn't feel great. Yes. Nothing. (laughs) Here
3: she goes turning into an old lady. Nothing makes you feel better than a clean pair of Uh, underwear. Yep. If you're like sick for days Mm -hmm. and you're like, I can't shower, just a change of underpants. Yep. And away you go. Away you go. It's uh, night and day. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta have backups. You might not use them all, but it doesn't matter. You have them if you need them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, eight Uh, pairs of underwear for a 10-day trip is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. Just because it's inconveniencing yourself.
3: Yeah. I couldn't even do 10 for a 10-day trip.
2: No. Because
3: I'm always like, oh, I'm gonna spill. And by spill. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: you never know when you're going to be eating a plate of spaghetti at a hotel in your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh God, I didn't
3: mean spill. I didn't mean me. I, I guess. I guess I meant my nethers. <laughs> <laughs> this this nethers. is it. Nethers. This is the sign that uh, we've done too much too soon. <laughs>
2: We've done a lot in two weeks. Yeah, we've been we've been on a pace that is uh, I don't think sustainable for us long term is what I think I'm learning. I just said
3: my nethers spilled. So I don't believe. (laughs) But that'll be the joke. There's going to be someone that's like, I think this is the best moment ever. And it'll be like.
2: Well, you know what? That's that's what's nice about our uh, our dear listeners is that they see us. Yeah, they see us. And for people who are just coming in for the first time. (laughs) <laughs> don't don't run away yet. Give us another chance. Stick around for another half hour.
3: We talk about more than underwear, I promise.
2: And listen, this is just cool, good cool fun, good clean fun. Yeah. Good, clean underwear fun. There it is. There it Come is. On. Come on. Mm. I also just have to say, so, and I want to preface this, I am in no way, paid by this company at all but i have been known to order some undergarments from skims which is kim Kardashian. oh of course and i am i will be honest i am just a fan i do like certain bras and underwear that they do sure um (laughs) i should maybe go and get it but i don't want to stop us from recording i ordered a bikini uh from them which i was like oh that's cute whatever you know it's it's uh revealing but you know i have my own pool so it's like it's not i will buy i have different tiers of bathing suits that i buy you know things that it's like am i wearing this out or is this just for me and you know people close to me or whatever um (laughs) what arrived the top i ordered a size up because I was on both parts which is probably also going to be a mistake because it's just gonna be skimpy but baggy if that makes any sense I haven't oh, tried it on yet boy. because what has arrived at the top I'm like okay I think I can get in there like that looks like and it's kind of like um more of a tank top like a like a like a tiny sports bra kind of sure style. like a pullover that feels fine these bottoms oh my Lord I'm like this is this is a size up and it's it is it's uh it's oh. not at all what I thought I was getting. It looked different on the model. And listen, they've got all different body types on there, which is great because sure. I think that is helpful to try and see how you think something's going to look on you. Anyway, long story short, too late. I I saw it and I went, I I don't I have to brace myself to try this on cuz I feel like it's going to be intense. And I don't say that as, as a, that's not a negative thing about my body. It's, it's not about my body. It's more about the feeling of like, can I wear um, just a couple of pieces of yarn oh. <laughs> into my pool? Like, it's so small. It's oh so boy. Small. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned. I'll give you an update. Maybe <laughs> I'll try it on on the break. <laughs> I, uh, look,
3: I have complete faith that at some point, a pool and a cocktail are going to be combined, and that'll be the second suit of the day.
2: Yeah, I do like to – I like to come out in a second suit sometimes if I'm hosting especially. I like to, like, keep people guessing and then, oh, she's done on a wardrobe change. Um,
3: you bring extra underwear almost twice as much, if not more, than what you need. Much, yeah. Yeah. If you have your own house at your disposal, obviously there are going to be cha- costume changes partway. Through. Yeah, that's easy. That's easy. Yeah.
2: We'll see. We'll see what happens.
3: And look, see, we told you. It's not always about underwear. Sometimes, Sometimes it's swim underwear.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> yeah. These are definitely swim underwear. Like, this does not feel like a bathing suit. It is definitely. Oh, wow. And it's also sparkly um, and doesn't feel like a bathing suit. I'm very curious to see how this thing holds up in the water, is the other thing. Interesting. Yeah. It feels like it would just, and I could be completely wrong, but it feels like it would just take on water and get really heavy. Oh, boy. So we're going to have to see about that, too. And then I'm like, is this just a lounge suit? Of course. Not a functional water suit, you know? I.
3: It never would dawn on me that you'd have to check if a bathing suit would be
2: meant for water or not. I think that they're all. I think it's inherently meant for water, but I don't know whether it's practical. Look again. I think what I, what I'm hearing from myself right now is just a lot of anxiety about this suit.
3: There is some suit anxiety. Yeah. Which yeah. is far better than Nether Spills. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: Nether Spills is uh, the the name of my Dolly uh, Parton Spills. cover band.
2: Nether Spills. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Nether Spills. (laughs) Playing their hit song. (laughs) (laughs) I I slopped on my clam. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, God, I'm gonna need little castanets that look like little clams.
2: Oh, why has no one done that? That's adorable. I mean, I mean I wonder if clam castanets exist. They must. They'd clam have to. Castanets. I'm not seeing any. Oh. Okay, there's, yes, okay, those are, but they're not, there's not a lot of detail. Huh. This is a billion dollar idea. Or at least a $500 idea. Sure. Yeah. Who doesn't want a set of clam castanets? I want them being very realistic. You know what I'm saying? Like Sure. It feels like there's an opening in that market. Is the castanet market
3: like rock solid? <laughs>
2: I'll ask. I'll ask the band. <laughs> oh my god, who would know better? You're right. Yeah, yep. exactly. When is this airing? When does this episode air? Is this oh, July eleventh, seventh, eighteenth? Yeah, this is 11th. July eleventh. Yeah. Well, listen. <laughs> I got to plug my show. Then I'm doing my first live concert for the public. I've hey. played a couple of shows, but they were again private events. Yeah, uh, July 18th at Whiskey Gogo Go in Los Angeles, and it's free, 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 free. Nine hey. o'clock. Hey, catch me play a full set. How about that? Oh, look at you. Yeah, and I know That's we have impressive. a lot of listeners in LA. I when when I look at the uh, analytics, we got we got a, a chunk of people there. So I would love to see you there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: My hope is that there's enough of them that they start chanting for I'm dreaming of a hot dog.
2: I was going to say that one. I was like which one is she going to say? I I knew it was going to be that. Yeah. Dreaming of a hot dog. Dreaming of a hot dog. I would and also I would accept have to- someone
3: with just a sign. Dreaming yep. of a hot dog. Yep. Yeah.
2: Or a picture yeah. of of Larry Bird with a with a circle, a dream bubble and they're just being a big hot dog in it.
3: There it is. God, we're doing the work for him.
2: Listen, if if Courtney can show up to that Blink-182 concert with the sign that says Travis I'm pregnant, far be it from me to stop one of our listeners to from coming for our show, our show, my show uh with some sort of signage as well. Yeah.
3: I mean, are we also going to mention she was very obviously pregnant prior to that
2: show? I think that that was how they were choosing to announce it publicly. The way it made it seem in the clips I saw, it was like that was how she was telling Travis. But she definitely is. She's a few, few th- months in. He knew. He had to have known. Um, and look, I get it because there's that moment in the all the small things video where the model is with the sign. So It's cute. It's cute. But it yeah. just was interesting to me that it felt like they were trying to make it seem like this is how she was telling him for the first time when... Right. I think it was more of just a public reveal moment. That but is- I'm also like, look, on our other podcast, <laughs> Kardashian, Kardashian Breakdown, yeah. uh, which doesn't exist. Don't get your hopes up. Um, I'm an avid watcher of the show. Sure. And I followed through the last season her IVF journey. and Sure. Uh, they did give up and there was her egg reserve I I want to say and I have to go don't quote me but I think that at one point they were like you got like one left or two left so it is not my business and it is nobody's business but they do put these things out there publicly so I think therefore you know they are fodder sure. for conversation um, I'm just curious about how she got pregnant because they sure. struggled for so long and again it was looking like it was like really not going to happen is it an egg donor situation is it you know we may never know and again not our business but uh fascinating
3: oh it is and don't get me wrong couldn't be happier for them love that it's happening but when i saw a clip of that i immediately thought demarc and tom hate this
2: i felt like they would probably never admit it out loud of course of But I, it did enter my mind as well. Because I,
3: like, I also feel once Tom left, then that made Mark and Travis a little more buddy-buddy. Yeah. And then Tom has come back in. So is Courtney going to be what wedges and makes Mark and Tom happen again? Is she the Yoko Ono is what I'm hearing. It's just, he like, Mark like got off the stage and went and congratulated her. It's just like it's a it, it turns into everything that they do into like a media circus
2: because she, a Kardashian's involved. I also want to say, and again, don't quote me; I'd have to go back and look at the footage. But Mark Hoppus and his wife were at Courtney and Travis's wedding, and I sure. don't know if Tom and his wife were. Oh. Why do just I
3: feel saying. like I'm just going to start binging the Kardashian? Oh, God, don't, t- t- don't, tempt, <laughs> don't toy with me. Don't throw that out there and tease me. Because this is like, we're talking like
2: 20 seasons or something ridiculous, aren't we? Yes, but what I would say is you could just do the new Hulu series that's only a couple years old. But you know if I'm going to do it? <laughs> If I'm going to do it, I do it right. Yeah. I mean, if you go back far enough, though, like, it's, I mean, then the Kendall and Kylie are children, like, young children. Like, it's, you can. But I'm just saying, like, in terms of the pop culture element, sure. even just these recent seasons, you know.
3: Right. Look, I saw a clip of, I believe it was Kim and um, Chloe mm-hmm. in a car. I don't know where they were going, but Chloe turns to her and goes, wait a second. Is it hamster or hamster? And Kim just goes, I've been writing hamster my whole life. (laughs) And then Chloe's like, me too. And they were both like shocked. And I was like, hamster, huh? All right. And that was the moment I'm like, Maybe that's a background show. I need to start more shows that are
2: just like maybe in the background or something. The Kardashians for me, the original Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Anytime I go to a hotel, I would say over the last 10 years or more, it's always airing somewhere. It's always on E or something. Sure. And the tone of it, there's something about the tone of the voices and whatever, like, it puts me into a not-asleep-and-not-awake state. <laughs> like, it, it <laughs> really is a sure. sedative for me, um, which I love. I mean, many of the seasons I, quote, watched, but I wouldn't say I actually watched them. It was just, like, sure. that kind of white noise that uh, I love. Now, granted, the most recent seasons I have really watched, but that's also because it's so tied to current pop culture for me. Sure, and the Kanye West of it all and of the Pete course. Davidson of it all and all of that. And, you know, right. Well, and now the hamster of it all hamster is that is I love that. I mean, I find that hilarious. And also like. Yeah.
3: Just different lives, man. Right. Different oh, lives. I've also seen the clip of. Uh, you'll love this is probably proof of why I should watch. Uh, it's one of the it's one of the kids, Kylie or. What's the other one? Kendall? Kendall? Yeah. I think fuck, I can't remember which one of them it was. Uh but she wanted a snack. And Chris was like, "I beg you, let me get the let me get chef." And I was like, oh. "Just we just call them chef." But uh and then it was her cutting, it was the way she was holding like a cucumber or something and then cutting on the other side of her I the hand like it was such a messed up way that my brain was like, "What?" Am I seeing?
2: Right. Yeah. Oh. She got into, that was a huge moment. She got into, uh, she got a lot of flack for that uh, online, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I love is that Chris knew, Chris knew in that moment, like, don't do this. <laughs> let me go. Let me get chef. Like th- that was to me, I think in retrospect, I think she knew that it was like, oh, she doesn't have knife handling skills. I never imparted these to my children. Like hundred percent.
3: That yeah. was her saying, I'll get chef. Was her saying, you're going to look so stupid and I will not stop you because my producer hat is on at all times. And so it was like, I tried. Okay. And then she just like sits down in the chair and yells action. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. But also just chef. We should call chef.
3: I'm like, hmm.
2: One of the moments that really endeared me to uh, Kylie was when she was pregnant And uh, she and Kendall were driving to Santa Barbara for Courtney and Travis's surprise engagement party. And they're in the drive-thru for In-N-Out. And Kylie's like, I'm so (laughs) hungry, I need a snack. And it was like, we're about to get food. And she's like, I feel nauseous. I need a snack. So then Kendall's like digging and Kylie keeps a basket of snacks in her car. And I was like, you know what? Say what you want to say about all these, about this family, about these gals. I was like, hell to the yes, Kylie Jenner. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love not only that she keeps a basket of snacks in her car, but also yes. that she's like, I need to be eating while I'm ordering in and out. I was like, that's my kind of lady. Sorry.
3: that Yes. I'm I do like up. that. Now, is Kendall the only one that doesn't have children
2: of that group?
3: Yes. Okay. Gun to my head, I could probably only name two of the children. Total. That's. Sure.
2: I think I could get most of them.
3: Oh, I guarantee you can.
2: <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, no, Kendall's definitely the one who's kind of branched out from the rest of the family. She lives in West Hollywood. The rest of them all live in Calabasas, which is quite a distance between the two. Sure. Yeah. Um, She's the only one that doesn't have children. Um, And she's dating, what's his name? That Bad uh, Bunny. Bad Bunny. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah.
2: And she's the only one of them that hasn't been married at this point. Huh.
3: And look, I'll say this. Bad Bunny uh, didn't have an appeal. And then I... Then I saw Bullet Train.
2: Is he in that? He is. I gotta watch that. I fell asleep. It's not a comment on the movie. I was just really tired. I gotta watch that. He has a vibe. Yeah. That has
3: carried with me since we watched that. So I I do highly recommend it for you.
2: Did Kylie Jenner ever get married? Now I feel like I've misspoken. Um, I love that I'm worried about it. I mean, of course,
3: I barely could remember her name in the moment, but...
2: I don't think she's been married. They never got married. They never got married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because didn't someone,
3: maybe it was Kylie, wear a shirt of like Kendall's exes and it looks like a, it, it's like all of her basketball exes or is it Kim?
2: Oh, it could have been any of them really.
3: Because it's, it the shirt looks like a, like an NBA team championship type shirt. Yeah. And it's all her exes or whatever. That's hilarious. And it, w- it was a very funny moment where I was like, oh, because she's dated a lot of athletes. That is the most white woman not understanding what's going on response. Mm-hmm. Oh, because she dates athletes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, Nether Spills. I was um, doing better when I talked about clam castiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. On that note, uh, I gotta ask you, what you drinking over there?
3: Oh, uh, today I'm I'm doing a water and I'm doing a Slurpee to to keep Beautiful. me focused.
2: Yeah. Listen again, we've had a we've had a wild couple weeks, a lot of work, yeah. so we got to keep our shit together. I'm just on a McDonald's Diet Coke. Oh, so I hear you. Nice. I don't even have other liquids nice. here right now. Wow. Mainlining the caffeine. I really like mainlining the caffeine. Uh, Oh, my God, that was a real snort. Um, Well, listen, let's get into the episode. We got lots to get through. This is obviously a uh, case that has gripped the nation and many nations. We're, of course, talking about Pamela Smart in this episode. And you're going to love this. I know I know this story. I told Christy I know this story. And gun to my head right now, I'd be like, I don't think I can piece the details. That's just because they begin to blur for me. Sure. Um, You know, a lot of them blur. So I'm very excited to uh, get through this synopsis to refresh myself as I refresh all of you or tell you about her for the first time. Here we go. In May 1990, insurance salesman Greg Smart was shot to death in his home less than a week before his first wedding anniversary. Greg's wife Pamela seemed eager to solve the case as she was always willing to give an interview to anyone who asked. So it came as quite a shock when the people arrested for the murder were three teenagers who took part in a high school program that was run by Pamela. During the trial, it came out that 22-year-old Pamela was having an affair with one of those teenagers. Pamela claims that the boy killed her husband out of jealousy, but the boy claims that Pamela orchestrated the entire thing for the insurance money. In a case of he said, she said, we're going to look at the murder and the subsequent trial to try and discover the truth buried underneath. Did Pamela Smart really convince her teenage lover to murder her husband? Or did the teenager try and pin the crime on Pamela just to get his sentence reduced? Christy Oxford investigates. Yeah, I remember now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, check that off for the uh, um, synopsis doing its job. It did. There we go. Uh oh, so, as always, a disclaimer before we start. This episode will contain mentions of intimate partner violence and sexual assault, so trigger warning for those who need it. Pamela Ann Voyas was born August 16, 1967, in Coral Gables, Florida. She was the middle of three children— with Beth, six years older, and John Jr., three years younger. In 1980, Pamela's father, John, had concerns about the growing crime rate in Miami. He said, quote, When they started burning the place down, when they had the riots in Miami, I says, I'm getting my family the hell out of there. I don't need this aggravation. Wow. I specifically like him saying I says. I'm very charmed by that. The family had enjoyed summers spent in New Hampshire, so they decided to move to Wyndham, where Pamela was enrolled at Wyndham Center School for eighth grade, or grade eight, depending where you're from. Around this time, Pamela also started working various jobs, as her father believed his children should learn about hard work from a young age. The following year, Pamela attended high school at Pinkerton Academy. Fun fact! Poet Robert Frost was an English teacher at Pinkerton from 1906 to 1911. Wow. Uh, At Pinkerton, Pamela was a cheerleader, a Spanish tutor, and she was also involved in Students Against Drunk and Drugged Driving, as well as student government. However, she bowed out of student, student government after her junior year because of an alleged scandal. Wow! School officials accused Pamela of rigging the election, skimming money from class funds, and drinking alcohol on school grounds. The school spoke with Pamela's mother, and Pamela agreed to bow out of the election if the matter was kept quiet and if it was kept out of her student record. She was described by friends as caring, insecure, and intensely possessive of any boys she liked whether they liked her or not. Wowzer. One person specifically said, quote, Pam's a real enigma. She's a, she's a very bright, tough, and competitive woman, but there always seemed to be a real strong anger simmering inside her. Pamela's high school boyfriend, Paul Reese, described her as wild. But Paul, who was the captain of the football team, doesn't exactly come across in the great light <laughs> Apparently, Paul would openly talk about having sex with Pamela in front of other students, to the point where they all started calling her Sika after a popular porn star
2: oh, boy. at the time.
3: Pamela even referred to herself as Sika in a photo caption in the yearbook. Pa- Pamela and Paul dated for nine months in their senior year before breaking up right before graduation. Paul said, quote, I just got sick of her. Gross. A hundred percent. Real charmer. Uh, But what do you expect from a guy whose nickname in high school was Sausage? (laughs)
2: Jesus.
3: (laughs) I can't. Pamela graduated in 1985 and spent the summer at the University of Florida in Gainesville as her sister Beth was there attending law school. Pamela then transferred to Florida State in Tallahassee to take part in their media performance program as her dream was to become a TV reporter. Pamela was a disc jockey for the Florida State radio station where, using the name Maiden of Metal, she hosted a two-hour show called Metal Madness. I did not pin- see her as a metal music type, but, you know, good honor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, during a trip home over the Christmas break, Pamela met Greg Smart at a New Year's Eve party in 1986. Not much has been shared publicly about Greg's childhood, but Gregory William Smart was born September 4th, 1965, in Nashua, New Hampshire, to Bill and Judy Smart. Uh, He had an older brother named Rick and a younger brother named Dean. Pamela and Greg kept in communication when Pamela went back to school. But Greg was kind of casually seeing someone else at the time. So it didn't seem like Greg and Pamela were going to be serious. And then for some reason, things took a turn in the summer of 1987. Greg ended up moving to Florida to be with Pamela. They got an apartment together. But Pamela didn't want her parents to know, so whenever they came to visit, Greg had to take all of his stuff and leave the apartment for the weekend.
2: Classic. Yep.
3: Greg proposed in January 1988, and later that year Pamela graduated with honors with a bachelor's degree in communication. For a graduation gift, Greg planned to get Pamela a Yorkshire Terrier, as she had always wanted one. But on the way to get the dog, Greg called Pamela and asked if they could get a shih tzu instead because his family had one and he just found one that was like too cute. Pamela agreed and they named their shih tzu Halen after Van Halen, which was Pamela's favorite band. Wow. It's interesting that Greg planned to get Pamela her dream dog, but then ended up convincing Pamela to accept his dream dog. Mm -hmm. Was this dog still considered a grad gift? Did he spoil his own surprise by calling? I have a lot of questions. Also, adopt, don't shop. Thank you. After graduation, Pamela worked as a part-time clerk for the Florida Department of Commerce before interning at CBS affiliate WCTV Channel 6. Greg passed an exam that allowed him to sell insurance in the state of Florida. He started working at MetLife and soon cut off all his long hair. Pamela was very disappointed in the change as she was initially drawn to Greg because she kind of felt like he looked like Bon Jovi. He had like the super long kind of curly sort of hair uh, at the time. In January 1989, Greg decided to move back to New Hampshire to work for his father's insurance company in Nashua. Pamela made the choice to go with him. The couple moved into a condo in Derry, or more specifically, number 4E, Misty Morning Drive, less than five minutes from Greg's parents. On May 7, 1989, Greg and Pamela were married in a big Catholic ceremony before honeymooning in Bermuda. When they returned home, Greg worked for his father's company while Pamela worked for a temp agency before being hired as the new media center director for the school administration in Hampton. On May 1, 1990, Pamela had an evening meeting at the school. When it was over, she drove the 45 minutes to her condo in Derry, arriving around 10.10 10 p.m. Pamela walked through the door, turned on the light, and discovered Greg lying on the floor down the hallway. She didn't enter the house further. She didn't go near the, him in any way. She immediately ran to a neighbor's house and started banging on the door, and she said, quote, "'My husband's hurt. He's on the floor.'" I don't know what's wrong with him. As that neighbor was calling 911, Pamela ran to another neighbor to get their help and then asked another neighbor to contact Greg's parents. 911 received multiple calls that night about a hysterical woman who was saying her husband was passed out. When the first police officer arrived on scene, he noted Greg was lying on the carpet in the dining room with his feet kind of in the foyer. The officer checked for a pulse but found nothing. Neighbor Mary Jane Woodside, who was a medical assistant at the hospital, offered to perform CPR, but when the officer rolled Greg over, he noted a bloody hole in Greg's head. So CPR was not done. When paramedics arrived soon after, they confirmed that Greg was, in fact, dead. An investigator from the medical examiner's office made the official announcement at 11.19 p.m. Greg was just 24 years old. A large brass candlestick was found in the foyer. It was initially believed to be the murder weapon. However, the following day, an autopsy proved that Greg had been shot. Due to the stippling, it is believed the gun was extremely close to Greg's head at the time. However, there was no substantial gunpowder residue on his scalp or any blood spatter near the body, so they assumed there was something put maybe between the gun and the victim. Police searched the house and noticed it had been ransacked. The living room had stuffing from a pillow all over the floor. There were CDs scattered around. Stereo speakers and a small portable TV were piled up at the back door. In the upstairs bedroom, drawers had been pulled out. Clothes were thrown all over the place. A jewelry box near the bathroom sink was empty. Police found a blue towel from the upstairs bathroom and multiple paper towels on the floor near the body. One of the black pillows from the living room couch was missing. And because the stuffing on the ground... Police thought maybe they used, they emptied the pillow and then just used the pillowcase to put whatever it is they stole from the house kind of in it. Um, police initially believed Greg's death was a robbery gone wrong. The suspect or suspects either entered through the French doors at the back of the condo or through a bulkhead in the backyard, which led into the basement. The neighbor in 4D said he saw Greg come home around 9pm. And he said he heard what he thought was scuffling feet across the floor and two thuds a few minutes apart. He believed it was the sound of doors slamming. Both the bulkhead and the French doors were unlocked when police arrived. And nothing looked as though it had been forced open. The French doors were also slightly open. So it's probable that that's the way they went. Uh, Pamela and Greg had a cookout or barbecue, as Canadians would call it, uh, a few days before Greg's death. And Pamela said it was possible that they had not locked the back doors since then. Uh, Police believe the suspects left through those back doors since they were slightly open. And a table near those doors was slightly embedded in the wall as though someone hit it as they were trying to, like, flee the scene. At 4.30 a.m., Greg's body was removed from the scene, and police found a three-diamond gold ring, Greg's keys, and his wallet near the body. There was no cash in the wallet, but the credit cards were still there. So if it was a robbery, why did they leave this stuff behind, and why would they risk breaking into a house in a densely populated area on a random Tuesday night when it was likely someone might be home? So police questioned if maybe it was a targeted attack. But who would target a mild-mannered insurance salesman? Police asked Pamela if Greg was having an affair. Pamela said no. So they asked if Pamela was having an affair. Again, she said no. Were they having money problems? No. Pamela said everything was good in their lives and they were both incredibly happy. Police found some pot, or more specifically, a, a single marijuana cigarette in Greg's truck. So then they immediately thought, oh, I bet this death is connected to some sort of drug debt. Pot was taken a lot more seriously in 1990 than it is today. <laughs> yeah. But uh, sniffer dogs were brought in, but no other drugs were found. Uh, police asked Pamela to refrain from speaking to the media about the case, as they believed it could be harmful to the investigation if certain details were to be made public. Pamela got defensive and said, quote, don't talk bad about them. I'm one of them, too. And while her dream was to be a reporter, I don't think I'd classify her job at the time as the press. Yes, she wrote press releases and newsletters for the school and taught high school students how to use various media equipment, but I would not consider Pamela a member of the media. And despite police outright asking Pamela not to to talk to the press, she immediately went to the press. (sighs) Pamela called reporter Bill Spencer at the local news station and told him she wanted to clear the air about Greg's death as there had been rumors it might have been drug-related. Pamela agreed to a face-to-face interview with Bill Spencer, which she gave at her home just hours before Greg's wake. Oh, boy. And I know everyone grieves in their own way. But even though she was just hours away from her husband's wake, Pamela was very calm and non-emotional during the interview. Not that it's a surprise... As police said that whenever they spoke with Pamela, she was calm, composed, and they never saw her break down once. Shortly after Greg was pronounced dead, Pamela said to police, quote, What will I do for the rest of my life? And when Pamela went into the house after Greg's body was removed, she got angry about the fingerprint dust on her furniture and screamed, asking who's going to clean this up. Uh, the day after the funeral, a claims adjuster came to the condo as a favor to Greg's dad because Pamela wanted to be reimbursed for the furniture that she said was ruined by that fingerprint dust. At the time, police had placed a towel over the blood stain in the dining room so Greg's family wouldn't have to see it. And while everyone else was walking around it, Pamela just always walked on over it, just... Had no problem stepping on it. Again, everyone grieves in their own way. It's just Pamela's actions in that moment were, you know, off. Yeah. Like how after getting $140,000 from Greg's life insurance plans, Pamela immediately went out to buy a new car. She didn't actually buy one at the time, um, but she definitely went car shopping. And went looking for, like, a really expensive type thing, which felt like an interesting choice. Um yeah. And then uh, Pamela, th- uh, those closest to Pamela say that she immediately gave away anything that belonged to Greg. And when she moved into a new condo soon after uh, his death, she didn't put up a single photo of Greg in her new place at all. Less than three weeks after the murder, Pamela was seen at a local bar singing along with a band that was fronted by her ex-high school boyfriend, Paul Reese. Oh, my God. She's got a type, folks. Yeah. Apparently, Pamela's singing was so bad that people begged the band for her to leave.
2: (laughs) Oh, boy.
3: She gave Paul her number and invited him to visit her new condo. Again, Everyone grieves differently. But at the wake, Pamela was distraught. She had to be physically pulled away from the casket. At the funeral the following day, Pamela was so devastated, she had to be held up by her parents and her sister. Greg's mother was so traumatized, she ended up being hospitalized. And both of Greg's parents were put on medications to handle the situation. At the funeral, people were told a memorial fund had been created in Greg's name. The purpose of the fund? To buy equipment for the upcoming mass media course at the Winnicunit High School in Hampton. A course that had been approved at the school meeting on the night of Greg's death. A course that would be taught by Pamela Smart. Mm. Pamela said, quote, For me, it was important to find something positive out of this tragedy. Winnikunit High School was located across the parking lot from Pamela's office, and since it was one of the schools that Pamela worked with, she was very familiar with the staff and students, especially those who had been through the freshman orientation program, Project Self-Esteem, which was a three-day drug and alcohol awareness program. Barbara Kingsman, the counselor at Winnikunit High School, who ran Project Self-Esteem, decided to bring three students with her. To Greg's Wake to show support for Pamela. Barbara chose the three students whom she felt were the closest with Pamela, which included Billy Flynn, Vance Latamy Jr., and Cecilia Pierce. I read a book about this case, and while I give it props for some of its very detailed information, I am so disappointed in how these three students were initially described and I probably shouldn't say the name, but I will. This is a quote from Stephen Zawicki's book. Quote, Billy, who at 16, had brooding eyes and shaggy dark hair that hung down his neck. Vance, 17, quiet, inscrutable, and bespectacled. Cecilia, who was 15, overweight and clingy. Now, Maybe I'm just being sensitive here, but I find it off-putting to see the very obvious difference in how he described the males versus the female teenagers here. It's off-putting. Um, and I i mean, again, I, I just don't think it's just me because this is – I don't care for it. Anyhow, um, the two boys, Billy and uh, Vance – knelt in front of the casket at the wake, um, which is a strange move, but is there a reason they were acting strange? Well, you're going to find out soon. Mm -hmm. Two days after the funeral, Pamela gave yet another interview, this time with a newspaper where she mentioned the memorial fund that had been set up. She said, quote, I had talked to Greg that day, and he was really excited about whether or not I'd be able to do this. He knew how important this was to me. He wished me good luck that morning. While I was driving home, I was excited to get home and let him know it had been approved. She also added, we didn't have any problems. We were very happy. We just wanted to be together. Pamela then gave another interview where she told the reporter details of the crime scene including the fact that there were no witnesses, that $300 worth of jewelry was stolen. Uh, She added, quote, this was some jerk, some drug addict person looking for a quick 10 bucks. She also said, quote, I've been told just that they're interviewing people and that it's a process of elimination. They do have to explore all kinds of different avenues. They have some leads, a lot of them turned up to be, you know, Turned out to be dead ends. On what would have been Pamela and Greg's one year wedding anniversary, Pamela did another interview with Bill Spencer. Some of Pamela's quotes from that interview include quote, It's just an awful tragedy, and now you know, there's no better time in his life for this to happen.
2: What? There's
3: never a good time in your life to get murdered. No. Okay. Uh, Another quote, life's not always fair and you have to take what happens in stride and move on and move forward. It's been six days.
2: Wow. Six days.
3: Uh, Another one, quote, today I have to wake up and realize there is no future for us. There's a future for me, but not for us. Again, six days. But also nothing too like incriminating, just off- right? Uh, Like how at one point she mentioned to Bill that she still had the top of her wedding cake in the freezer. And she asked Bill if he wanted to get a shot of her taking the cake out of the freezer. Uh, She said, quote, Greg has complained about it since I put it there. Right before this happened, he said, I can't wait until our anniversary so we can get rid of this cake. After the interview, Pamela gave the cake to Greg's parents saying, you take this I don't like cake anyway.
0: Oh, boy. Bill Bill
3: Spencer did uh, point out how she was more interested in producing the bit than Mm. anything else. The idea of like, oh, God, it's our wedding anniversary. Would you like a shot of me pulling out the top of my wedding cake?
2: Yeah, that's interesting.
3: Yeah. A week after Greg's death, Derry Police Captain Loring Jackson ordered that pamela no longer be kept informed of their progress (laughs) yeah i wonder why which more than fair since they told her not to talk to the press and then she repeatedly talked to the press but pamela was angry about it telling reporters quote i have no i have a right to know what's going on i'm not being treated like the victim that i am the police aren't telling me anything They aren't telling you anything because you're a liability to their case, Pamela. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Without speaking to Pamela about it, police looked into the possibility of a drug debt, but ran out of leads. They also checked if there was some sort of gambling debt, as Greg often visited Atlantic City. And according to Greg's phone records, he had recently made some calls to a gambling junket service, which is used to bring high rollers into casinos. This particular service had alleged ties to the mob, but police couldn't find any links between them and Greg's murder. Police also allegedly looked into one of Greg's neighbors, who had a criminal record for violent offenses, as well as an ex-girlfriend of Greg's. Again, according to author Stephen Sawicki, a few years before his relationship with Pamela, Greg allegedly got a woman pregnant and refused to pay for an abortion. The girl's father was angry and had said, quote, that he had a good mind to shoot Greg. I don't know if this woman ever got pregnant. I don't know if she had a baby or not. If it's true, it's crazy that it never gets talked about, uh, especially since it allegedly happened a few years before Pamela And Greg met Pamela when he was just 21. Yeah. Uh, So I have a lot of questions, even though it's not relevant (laughs) to this, to the murder portion. But, you know, no stone unturned. Nope. So police ruled out drug and gambling debts as potential motives for Greg's murder. And since Pamela said things were so great between her and Greg, it seemed there was no motive there either. However, things weren't exactly as peachy keen as Pamela had claimed. In her many interviews with the media and the police, Pamela repeatedly stated that they were a happy couple living the dream. I mean, they had very similar personalities. Friends said both Pamela and Greg liked being the center of attention and that they both had a strong ego. Uh, They both also chose unique spellings for their nicknames, because they wanted to stand out from everybody else. Greg uh, was spelt G-R-E-G-G. And Pam was spelt P-A-M-E. That's Pame. It, yeah, it is absolutely not Pam, but uh, yeah. Just add another M. P-A-M-M. Yeah. Oh, actually, that would look really cute with the double G and the double M. Yeah. You know, but, you know. What a uh, psycho. But,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Calling her a psycho I like, over the spelling of a nickname.
3: I couldn't be happier that that's where we got. That's yep. what, I thought we might get there, but I like that that's how quickly we got there. Uh, but regardless of their similarities, shortly before his death, Greg allegedly told co-workers his marriage was in trouble because he wanted to buy a house and have kids and Pamela did not. Mm. friends of greg's also said that greg knew how to push pamela's buttons and that he loved pushing them to get a reaction out of her like the time they got into an agreement uh, some sort of disagreement while driving home in the middle of winter and he made her get out of the car and walk home he thought that was hilarious
2: oh god yeah
3: and then there was his nasty habit of spitting beer in her face
2: Oh, boy. It
3: happened once before they were married while they were out with friends at a bar. The bouncer allegedly threw Greg out for it, but after friends begged Greg, that begged and said he'd be on his best behavior, the bouncer let him back in, and then Greg did it again. It is a behavior that continued after they were married, and I think it's gross and not in any way funny. No. There was also an incident a few days before Christmas in 1989, when Pamela showed up at her in-law's house late at night, claiming that Greg had slapped her and tried to strangle her. When the smarts spoke with Greg, he said he hadn't touched Pamela at all. He called her a pain in the ass and said he'd thrown her out. Pamela later said the slap was accidental, uh, and then later after that said Greg had never hit her at all. But even if things weren't great between Pamela and Greg, police had no reason to believe that Pamela was involved. After all, she was at a public meeting at the time of Greg's death. But then two weeks after Greg's death, police received an anonymous tip. A woman said, who said that, she, that one of the teenagers she worked with talked about the murder of Greg Smart. The teenager told her co-worker that Greg's wife planned to kill him for the insurance money and that the night he was killed, the wife, quote, came home and put on a wonderful performance. When asked about the teenager, the anonymous woman said that the teen was friends with Greg's wife. The teenager turned out to be Cecilia Pierce, one of the three students who attended Greg's Wake. So who was Cecilia and why did she go to Greg's Wake? Well, we'll find out after the break.
2: Well, I love to see that for us. I cannot wait to get more insights into the Pamela Smart case. So grab another drink, hit the can, and we'll be right back with more on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs. A gripping murder mystery.
2: Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Pamela Smart case. Before the break, Christy teased that we were about to learn some more about the one and only Cecilia Pierce. Yeah.
3: That's exactly what I'm going to do. Fantastic. No. Well, no. I'm not going to learn about it. You're going to learn about it. That's exactly what you're going to do. There we go. (laughs) Barely here. Uh, So when she was young, Cecilia Pierce dreamed of becoming a reporter. So at the age of 15, she signed up to be an intern for the media coordinator at her high school. The coordinator, of course, was Pamela Smart. Cecilia and Pamela hit it off and became friends, often hanging out at Pamela's condo when Greg wasn't home. In fact, just just before Greg's death, Cecilia spent an entire week at the condo.
2: But she wasn't the
3: only one. Oh, boy. Also staying at the house that week was 16-year-old Billy Flynn. William Patrick Flynn, known as Billy, was born March 12, 1974. His mother, Elaine, graduated from high school in 1969 with the dreams of becoming a model. A couple years later, she married James William Flynn, known as Bill, who was heavily into drugs and alcohol. A year into the marriage, Elaine changed her lifestyle and became a devout Christian, which led to arguments with her husband to the point where Bill kicked Elaine out when she was six months pregnant. Elaine went to stay with her sister, but didn't tell Bill where she had gone. He eventually found her and called to tell her he was going to, quote, blow her away. Bill then showed up at the house hours later, When Elaine happened to go into labor, he dramatically reached his hand into his pocket like he was going to pull out a weapon. But then he just like pulled out his hand in the shape of like a finger gun, pointed it at her and smiled. It may have been some sort of joke to him, but it was actually psychological abuse. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Elaine gave birth the following day. And somehow the couple remained together for 12 years until Elaine discovered that Bill had been cheating on her. She left him in 1986. And in January 1987, Bill died after he collided with a gas tanker while driving under the influence. Wow. Billy uh, had some minor legal troubles in his early teens. Unfortunately, I don't know what they were since his records are sealed, but between that and his rocky home life, it's no surprise that in 1989, Billy was enrolled in Project Self-Esteem when he was 15 years old. The Winnicottet High School counselor, Barbara Kingsman, Kinsman, uh, created the program, which again was the three-day drug awareness workshop. One of the adult mentors in the program was 22-year-old Pamela Smart. Also enrolled in the program were Billy's friends. Patrick Randall, known as Pete, and Vance Latamy Jr., known as Jr., After the program, Billy and his friends continued to spend time with Pamela, including working on a commercial for a competition put on by the Florida Department of Citrus. Didn't even know that was a thing, but I love it. Uh, The idea was for high school students to make their own commercials showing the nutritional value of orange juice. Prizes included a trip to Disney World with Billy as the cameraman, Pamela and her friend Tracy were the actors and Cecilia did behind the ca- behind the scenes kind of stuff. The group just kind of ended up spending a lot of time together outside of school. I also love that it was like a high school project. And Pamela and her friend who were early 20s were like, we're going to be the stars of this. Thank you. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, There was even a time when Pamela allegedly bought a bottle of Southern Comfort for Billy and some wine coolers that she shared with Cecilia. Again, Billy and Cecilia were 15 at the time. The legal drinking age is 21. But we don't have time to focus on that, even though a person who supplies a minor with alcohol in the state of New Hampshire faces a $2,000 fine and a year in prison. But Pamela... Gave Billy more than just alcohol. Pamela and her friend Tracy decided to take pictures of themselves uh, for a modeling portfolio. Both women posed rather provocatively while wearing bikinis. Pamela gave the roll of film to Billy and asked him to get it developed because his mother's landlord owned a one-hour Photoshop. Um, She believed he'd get a discount, I guess. Uh, Afterwards, Pamela let Billy choose some of the photos to keep claiming she didn't think they were very good and she was just going to throw them out anyway.
2: Okay.
3: Yeah. And look, uh, take whatever photos you want of yourself, uh, by all means. Um, But maybe don't take pictures of yourself in a bikini, kneeling on a bed, and then give them to a 15-year-old boy. It's bad. It's not great. No, Uh, but soon Pamela was confiding in Cecilia, telling her she wanted to get a divorce. And that quote, I think I'm in love with Bill. And that's the thing about Pamela. Every time she mentions and says his name, it's always Bill. It's never Billy, because, of course, Billy makes him sound young like he was. Whereas Bill, well, Bill makes him sound like an adult. Yeah. I'm I'm absolutely convinced that's why she does it, but neither here nor there. In mid-February 1990, Pamela invited Cecilia and Billy over to her condo to watch the movie Nine and a Half Weeks. What? If you aren't familiar, it's a movie from 1986 starring Kim Basinger, Mickey Rourke, and the ultimate queen, Christine Baranski. The movie is rated R for nudity and intense graphic sex scenes. Billy claims after the movie, he and Pamela had sex for the first time. Pamela claims that didn't happen for another six weeks. Why would she be so specific about it? Probably because if they did have sex in February, it means at the time Pamela was 22 and Billy was 15, which makes it sexual assault. Whereas if they actually had sex in late March, like for the first time, like, Pamela's claiming Billy would have been 16, which happens to be the age of consent in the state of New Hampshire. Ever since, whenever Pamela mentions Billy, she always, always, always refers to him as 16. She will never admit that they were ever anything or that she even knew him at 15. It was always, he's 16, some 16-year-old, always 16. And I assume it's most likely to try and avoid a... any sort of lawsuit, the statute of limitations for sexual assault in New Hampshire is six years. However, in cases where the victim is a minor, the victim can press charges up until the time they turn 40. Billy has since he's over the age of 40 now, but I just feel like she got into this pattern and she was probably trying to convince herself it wasn't as bad as it seemed. Right. And, but, you know, psychologist, huh? hmm
2: uh,
3: So after they first had sex, Pamela told Billy they couldn't be together anymore. She said Greg didn't go away often enough, so they wouldn't get a chance to see each other. And Billy claims Pamela suggested if Greg wasn't around, well, they could see each other all the time. Pamela allegedly told Cecilia she only had two choices. She could either divorce Greg or she could kill him. And while she wanted a divorce, Pamela believed Greg would get the dog, the car, and the furniture, and she'd be left with nothing. And according to Billy, Pamela had told him that Greg had been physically and verbally abusive towards her, even at one point showing Billy a bruise that she claimed she got from Greg. Pamela has since denied any of that. According to Billy, Pamela started pushing the idea that Billy should get rid of Greg And while Billy believed that Pamela was joking at first, she soon started giving him suggestions like Billy should wear gloves at the time, he should tie his hair back, he should use a gun instead of a knife, oh, and he should put the dog in the basement first because she doesn't want the dog to get traumatized seeing the attack. Eventually, Billy brought in his friends Patrick Randall, known as Pete, and Vance Latamy Jr., known as Jr. And they had at least twenty different discussions about the potential murder. Eighteen-year-old Raymond Fowler was at the Latamy house during one of those discussions, so Raymond just immediately agreed to be involved. Raymond had just been released from prison in January 1990 after spending four months. For receiving stolen property. The boys claimed that Pamela had offered to pay them thousand dollars for the murder, but all Raymond wanted was the the smarts stereo system.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, the plan was originally to kill Greg in mid-April while Pamela was at a school meeting. Unfortunately, these would-be assassins were teenagers, so they didn't have a vehicle. And they were in Seabrook, which is 37 miles or 60 kilometers east of Derry, where Greg and Pamela lived. Pamela said the boys could use her car and she'd leave it in the parking lot, outside her meeting, with the keys in the ignition. When they picked the car up, Raymond brought along old pairs of shoes they could wear during the crime that they could throw out after the crime. Which is one of the smartest things
2: I was just <laughs> going to say. That's teenagers say. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not trying to give kudos for murder planning, but <laughs> correct. That not. Yeah. N- n- yep. yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just um, rarely hear about that. Kind I expected of... less. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
3: but uh, they then drove to a nearby pharmacy where they bought six pairs of gloves that cost them about ten cents apiece. They told the cashier they were buying them for a magic trick which I find interesting. Uh, Billy and Raymond drove down Route 101, headed to Derry, but then somehow they got lost. (laughs) And by the time they actually got to the condo, it was 10 p.m. and Greg was already home. So they decided, abort the plan. But when they returned Pamela's car to the parking lot, Pamela was angry, not just for them being late, but also for them failing. According to Billy, Pamela said, quote, you got lost on purpose. If you loved me, you would do this for me because you would want to be with me. Pamela was also angry that the boys had planned to use a knife, as she said, the mess would ruin her furniture. But the boys couldn't find a gun in time, so the knife was their backup. Billy promised he would get a gun, and Pamela said he had one more chance because there was another meeting on May 1st, but it was the last meeting of the school year, so if it was going to happen, it would have to happen then. On the morning of May 1st, Pamela allegedly unlocked the bulkhead doors in the basement and told the boys they could take whatever jewelry they wanted, as her favorite pieces were safe elsewhere. Jr. Pl- had planned to borrow his grandmother's car, however she forgot to drop it off, so Pamela gave JR, Billy, and Pete a ride to pick the car up. The boys then drove to JR's house where they took a thirty-eight caliber pistol from JR's father's dresser drawer. The gun had originally been purchased by JR's great-grandmother, Naomi, after a break-in in in her home in 1981. When Naomi's husband died, JR's father bought the gun from her as he liked shooting in the woods. Mm. I don't Know if it's target practice or some sort of hunting or whatever, but if nobody's getting hurt, sir,
2: okay. But also keep your gun somewhere that your son can't access it.
3: That is well. But, you know, Uh, after securing the weapon, Billy, Pete, and JR went to pick up Raymond, who was at a pizza place flirting with a waitress, which he later bragged to the police about. JR drove the group to a parking lot near Pamela's condo where Billy and Pete changed into new clothes and shoes behind a row of dumpsters while JR and Raymond stayed in the car. Billy and Pete used the bulkhead doors at the back of the condo to enter the basement. They did as Pamela instructed and grabbed the dog, Halen, first. Uh, What I don't like is they later laughed about just throwing the dog down the basement stairs. And that's... Not a big dog. Not that it would matter either way, but I mean, the dog, in the end, the dog was fine, but it's still horrifying. Yep. Uh, With the dog locked in the basement, Billy and Pete said they headed upstairs and started ripping apart the master bedroom, pulling out drawers and throwing clothes around. They headed to the bathroom where they emptied the jewelry box and grabbed a small portable TV. In the living room, Pete tried to take the VCR, but he couldn't reach to unplug it. So he ended up just leaving it lying on the floor. He unplugged the stereo speakers and left them at the back door with the TV. Uh, Pete cut open a black pillow uh, from the couch, emptied its stuffing and used the pillowcase to carry the jewelry and a pair of sunglasses that he had taken from upstairs. They opened the back doors just in case they needed to make a quick getaway And Billy grabbed a towel from the bathroom upstairs with the plan to cover Greg's head with it. Billy waited at the base of the stairs while Pete hid behind the front door. Pete was very, very worried about fingerprints. So he wrapped the handle of his knife that he had as a backup with paper towel and would just constantly keep replacing it every few minutes and dropping it on the floor, which is how the police found paper towel in and around the body. When Greg walked through the door, he immediately turned on the light and called for the dog. Billy jumped out and grabbed Greg by the shoulders while Pete shut the door and turned out the lights. Pete held a knife to Greg's throat as Billy pointed a gun at Greg's head. All Greg wanted to know why it was happening, of course. And the only other thing he asked, is the dog okay? Which is actually kind of sweet. Yeah. Uh, The boys assured him the dog was safe. According to Pete, he asked Greg to remove his ring, and Greg said, quote, I can't give it to you. My wife would kill me. I don't know if Greg really said that or not, but it is unsettling if he did. Once Billy fired the gun, both boys panicked and ran, leaving the stereo speakers and the TV behind, although Pete did grab the pillowcase. The original plan was for Billy and Pete to change back into their original clothes. But instead, they ran for the car and changed while Jr. drove away. They threw the clothes out the window as they drove. While taking inventory, Billy realized he dropped one of the gloves somewhere between the car and the condo. Uh, Pete later said that Billy seemed excited about the murder. Billy denies this, saying he was terrified to the point where he does not remember that drive home. First JR dropped off Pete who took the pillowcase of jewelry with him, then he dropped off Billy who emptied the gun and then gave it to JR. JR dropped off Raymond. He asked if Raymond could clean the gun the following day, telling him it would be left in the Latamy family's camper. The next morning, Billy, Pete and JR went to school as normal. Afterwards, JR checked the camper and discovered Raymond had cleaned the gun. So JR just put it back in his father's dresser drawer, thought nothing of it. They inspected the loot that they got from the house, and after testing the jewelry in some sort of bleach solution, they discovered the chains were all gold plated and the rest was just worthless costume jewelry. So, not even the 300 that she claimed. Right. Uh, They ended up tossing the jewelry off a nearby bridge, but for whatever reason, Pete
2: kept the pillowcase. Just toss the whole thing. Burn it. Burn it. Ah. Why are you doing throwing clothes out windows by the way? Like burn oh, all yeah. burn everything. What are you thinking? Anyway. Yeah. Oh, it's it's insane. <laughs> Not trying this, to give a tip here but you know This is what we expected. Yeah, exactly. You know? They started out
3: with a good plan and, and you know. Yeah. Uh shortly after the murder Pam moved to a new condo. Um Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I've already mentioned that. But uh, apparently, I put it in here twice. Uh, she moved to a new condo where she put up no photos of Greg, allegedly. Uh, at the end of May, she decided she was going to sell Greg's truck. Uh, but she decided it had a better stereo. So she wanted to take it out. So Billy took the stereo out for her uh, for free, just as like a favor. Uh, JR asked for the truck speakers. Uh, Pamela said no. When Jr. pointed out that they still hadn't been paid for the murder, Pamela then offered him the speakers instead, and Jr. agreed. Two weeks after Greg's murder, Cecilia went to her part-time job at Papa Geno's, where she told a co-worker she knew a woman from Derry who had her husband killed for the insurance money. The co-worker made that anonymous call to police on May 14th. But again, the police had no proof that Pamela was involved And they had no idea at that point who the killers were. Then on June 10th, 1990, 40 days after Greg's death, Vance Latamy Sr. arrived at the Derry police station. Ralph Welch, who was a friend of JR's and a cousin of Raymond Fowler, had been living with the Latamys and overheard the boys talking about Greg's murder. Ralph went to JR's parents and told them the boys had used Vance Sr.'s gun to kill someone. So Vance went and checked the weapon and noticed it was clean, which it was not when he left it. So he knew something was up. So he brought the gun to the police station to be tested. And kudos to Vance Sr. for doing the right thing. Yep. Police took Ralph Welch into protective custody and put him in a motel in Salem, New Hampshire, about 12 miles or 19 kilometers southeast of Derry. Now, knowing their days were numbered, Billy, Pete, and JR headed to Connecticut, where they hid out at Billy's aunt's house, telling her they were laying low following some trouble involving stolen bikes. Billy told Pamela that if he got caught, he wouldn't admit to her involvement. Pamela told him even if he did get caught, He was a juvenile. He'd only get held until he was 18.
2: Nobody. Oh, Pamela. I know.
3: When police questioned Raymond Fowler, Raymond said he didn't need a lawyer because he was absolutely willing to talk. (sighs) Raymond told the cops, I mean, this is also the guy who then bragged about hitting on a woman, yeah, um, Raymond told the cops he was in the car with J.R., Pete and Billy on the night of the murder, and that he and J.R. waited in the car in the parking lot while Billy and Pete went into Greg Smart's condo. Raymond said he had no idea a murder was going to take place, and he only learned about it when Billy and Pete jumped into the car. Raymond claims he thought it, they were just going to rob the place. Billy J.R. and Pete ended up returning to Seabrook where Billy filled a bag with every love letter and picture that Pamela ever gave him. And he threw them out. Um, also included in there were dozens of hall passes that Pamela had given Billy so he could get out of study hall.
2: Hmm. Uh-huh.
3: On June 11th, Billy Flynn, Pete Randall and Vance Latamy Jr. were arrested and charged with juvenile delinquency When their arrests were announced, their names were withheld because, of course, they're minors. After the arrest, reporter Bill Spencer went to Pamela's condo for an interview, but she would barely open the door. She told him, quote, I really can't. I'm totally devastated by this. I can't comment, which is strange coming from a woman who set up an interview for the same day as her husband's wake it almost seems like she was more upset about the killer being caught than about her husband dying, allegedly. Soon after, Pamela gave a newspaper interview where she said, quote, If you want to say anything about how I'm feeling now, you could say I'm very, very shocked. I guess you could say they were good kids. I can't say anything about them. I work for the school district. I could lose my job. The last thing I need right now is to lose my job. Once police realized Pamela actually knew these kids, they contacted her for information about them in the hopes that they could use it to get the teenagers certified as adults at an upcoming hearing. Pamela told an officer, quote, the truth is that I don't know. I don't think these kids did this. That is really my truth. That's my honest, my God's honest truth. And in unrelated news, it is often said when someone repeats themselves, they're usually lying. Yeah. Two days after the arrests, Pamela was in Massachusetts, testifying at a trial for a hit-and-run driver who hit Pamela's car back in March. She testified that her friends Tracy Collins and Cecilia Pierce were also in the car with her at the time of the accident. But what Pamela neglected to say in court and neglected to mention in the accident report was that Billy Flynn was also in the car during that accident. But uh, Pamela did not want a paper trail that linked her and Billy outside of school. On June 14th, three days after the arrests, news reports announced that a girl might soon be arrested in connection with Greg's murder. Cecilia became terrified that the police were coming for her, so she told her mother everything she knew about Pamela, Billy, and Greg Smart's murder. Her mother contacted police, and after a late-night meeting at a Friendly's restaurant, the dairy police captain brought Cecilia in for a taped statement. Cecilia told the cops about the affair, the murder, and even how Pamela was allegedly upset with Billy for losing one of the gloves while fleeing the scene. The thing about those gloves... Uh, One of the detectives, who was a detective in training, was at the scene the day of the murder. He was looking for evidence, and he discovered a glove in the field behind the condo. However, he assumed it came from a nearby dumpster, which is also used by a medical office, so it was thrown out. But Cecilia's word against Pamela's was not enough for an arrest, so the cops asked Cecilia to call Pamela and try to get her to confess over the phone in a one-party consented telephone tap. On June 19th, Cecilia called Pamela at work and told her the police were on their way over to question her, and she was tired of lying. Pamela acted like she didn't know what Cecilia was talking about. And when Cecilia mentioned Pamela's affair with Billy, Pamela denied it. When Cecilia questioned why Pamela was sounding so strange... Pamela responded, quote, I don't know whether my phone is tapped. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. Cecilia called back later and again tried to get Pamela to admit to orchestrating the crime, but again, she denied everything, even the affair. Pamela said, quote, why would I, why would a 22-year-old woman like me be having an affair with a 16-year-old high school student? That's just ridiculous, and people will not believe it police recorded 3 phone calls between Cecilia and Pamela, but the audio in the third recording was so bad it was later found inadmissible in court. On June 22nd, Pamela went back to her usual MO and gave another interview. She said the cops had questioned her about the emotional maturity of the teenagers that they had arrested. Pamela said, "Quote, I hear the rumors" But if anybody prints any of those rumors, then, so help me, I'll sue the pants off them. She added, quote, those rumors are being spread by 15-year-old kids. Those rumors don't deserve the time of day from me. When outright asked about the kids, Pamela said, quote, I think the boy Billy Flynn had a crush on me. Pamela would later say she believed Billy was in love with her. Four days later, Pamela hired a lawyer. Yeah, I bet. On July 12th, police sent Cecilia, who was just 16 at the time, to obtain a face-to-face one-party intercept, meaning they sent Cecilia in to talk with, with Pamela while Cecilia was wearing a wire. And while Pamela never outright confessed, she was definitely standoffish about saying anything incriminating. The following are some of the quotes. From that conversation, Um, these are all things Pamela said, quote, they don't have evidence because there is no evidence. Uh, You know, if they get certified as juveniles, no one will ever know anything and they'll all be out in a year, you know, when they turn 18. They won't turn 18 in a year there. Uh, Billy's only 16. So ah, she's not a math teacher. It's fine. Uh, Another quote. If you tell the truth, you're going to be an accessory to murder. So that's your choice. And not only that, but your family, what's your family going to think? I mean, they're like, Cecilia, you knew about this? And just when you think Pamela was done trying to shame a teenager into lying to the police, she also said, quote, don't think it's the end of your problems if you confess. No, no. Because it's going to be your whole family going to your whole family is going to be like, fucking, well, you knew about the murder. How could you have lived like that? And the newspapers are going to be all over you. How could you have known about that? You know, and you're going to be on the witness stand a million times. Another quote, they did this all. I did not force anybody to do anything. They made their own decisions. And lastly, quote. I am never going to admit the fact that I asked, that I told him, that I hired them, because I never paid the money. I never hired anyone. Also, when Cecilia brought up the idea of a polygraph, Pamela suggested she refused to take it. The following day, the police had Cecilia wear a wire a second time, where Pamela again hammered home that idea that Cecilia should outright lie to the police. Again, this is Pamela. Quote, You are better off just lying. In order to arrest you and convict you for accessory to murder, that which means you knew about it before it happened, they would need to have evidence that you knew. Like, these guys are never going to get convicted for murder unless they have fingerprints and hair and shit and everything. But then she kept going. Quote, And if you tell the fucking truth, you're probably going to get arrested. And even if you're not arrested, you're going to have to go and you're going to have to send Bill, you're going to have to send Pete, you're going to have to send Jr., and you're going to have to send me to the fucking slammer for the rest of our lives. If she told the truth, Pam, why would you have to go to prison if you had nothing to do with it? Great point. Uh, oh, God, she's still going. Uh, still Still, Pamela, quote, unfortunately, that's the situation you're in, but your parents are going to be like fucking Cecilia, you know what the hell. I mean, I think your parents will get over the fact that you decided to not take a lie detector test, but I don't think they'll get over the fact that for the next two years, you're going to be going to trials, sending everybody up, you know, to the slammer for the rest. Another quote from that conversation, Pamela said, quote, there was a time when I was talking to you on the phone and you said to me, you should have just got divorced, something like that. And hopefully my phone wasn't tapped. Because when you said that, I could have shit when you said that. But if anything, if my phone is tapped and anybody asks about that, I'll just say you meant like if you couldn't understand why I would have killed Greg, because I would have just gotten divorced. Cecilia then said, quote, he's not going to say that you offered to pay him. He's going to say you knew about it before it happened, which is the truth. Pamela responded, quote, right. Well, so then I'll I'll have to say no, I didn't. And they're either going to believe me or they're going to believe a 16 year old in the slammer. But then there's me with a professional reputation. And of course, and a course that I teach, they're going to believe me. After the conversation, the police realized it actually didn't record because there was faulty wiring that uh, caused it to malfunction. But thankfully, Detective Dan Pelletier was holding a micro cassette recorder to the speaker while they were listening, while it was essentially live, and he ended up recording the entire thing. The unfortunate part is the quality is not great. Uh, which would become a real sticking point for Pamela's defense team. The audio was so bad, the tapes were transcribed for the trial. And to this day, Pamela claims it's a conspiracy and whoever transcribed the tapes changed the conversation to make her like seem guilty. Soon after, the boys who were originally held as juveniles due to their age were transferred to Rockingham county jail, where they would be charged as adults due to the severity of the crime and the teen's criminal history. Billy was charged with first-degree murder. Pete and Jr. were charged with accomplice to first-degree murder. On August 1st, Pamela Smart was arrested for first-degree murder. The following day, she was charged with accomplice to first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and witness tampering. In the lead-up to the trial, Pamica, Pamica, Jesus, Pamela publicly stated that her only concern at this point was Greg. She said, quote, that's all I care about. I don't even care if you write that I did it. I do and everything like that, but I care more about Greg. And I want everybody to know that Greg was not a bad person. Pamela also said that Greg was the nicest person in the world, which is a big leap from the way that Pamela described Greg to Billy. According to Billy, he claims Pamela told him that not only did Greg like the dog more than he liked her, but that Greg was also physically and verbally abusive towards her, and that he had once seen a bruise that she said was caused by Greg. Since then, Pamela has stated, quote, I've heard reports that my husband supposedly beat me, it's ridiculous. Pamela also calls the rumors of her affair with Billy totally absurd. In January 1991, about a month before the trial, Pete Randall decided to take a deal, which caused Jr. to take a deal and then Billy. All three agreed to testify against Pamela at the trial and agreed to plead guilty to second-degree murder, In exchange for reduced sentences, Billy Flynn and Pete Randall would each receive 40 years in prison, and JR got 30 years. On the day they pleaded guilty, police arrested Raymond Fowler on charges of attempted murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and tampering with physical evidence. A few months later, police added accomplice to first-degree murder to Raymond's list of charges. Raymond pleaded guilty to murder conspiracy and attempted burglary and was sentenced to 15 to 30 years. 300 jury summonses were sent out to the citizens of Rockingham County, which is more than any trial in the county's history. But most of the potential jurors had either moved away or died. So of the 300, they were left with about 147. And half of those were immediately excused because they admitted that they'd already absolutely made their mind up about whether Pamela was guilty or not. With the news of the boy's plea deal, the judge granted the defense two extra weeks to prepare the case, so the trial didn't start until early March 1991. The judge, who believed in media access to the judicial system, allowed two TV cameras in court to cover the trial. A documentary I watched said that it was the first murder trial to be broadcasted live. I I mean, I guess... Because it was live, I don't know. I know that Ted Bundy's trial was televised nationally in 1979. So I don't, I don't know. The point is, either way, allowing cameras in a courtroom was a huge deal at the time. Even then, in a room with seating to accommodate about 80 people, nearly 100 people were crammed into that courtroom to watch the trial. When Billy took the stand, he admitted to pointing the gun at Greg's head. He said, God forgive me, and pulled the trigger. When asked why he did it, Billy said, quote, it's because Pam told me to, and I loved Pam. When asked if he did anything people told him, Billy responded, quote, whatever Pam told me to do, yes, I would. Pro- I probably would back then, yes. Billy also claimed that he and Cecilia both stayed at Pamela's condo the week before Greg's murder. However, when police asked who had been in the house In the days before the murder, you know, so they could rule out specific fingerprints, Pamela didn't mention Billy or Cecilia. In a surprise move, when Pamela took the stand, she actually admitted to the affair. But she claimed she only did it because Greg confessed that he had an affair first. Pamela says Greg admitted to having a one-night stand around Christmas 1989. I don't know how accurate that is. A friend of Greg's claims that during a trip to Atlantic City shortly before his death, Greg confessed to him that he had cheated on Pamela. But of course, I don't know how accurate that is. And while Pamela admitted to the affair, she was adamant that she and Billy did not have sex until March 24th, because by then, Billy was 16 the age of consent. The prosecution asked, quote, so this was a conscious decision on your part not to tell the police about your affair. Pamela said, quote, right. And also the police never asked me. Prosecution said, quote, if they would have asked you, though, you would have told them, right? Pamela said, quote, I can't speculate on that. I don't know. But the thing is, Pamela, the police did ask you right after the murder. The first two questions they asked for, one, was Greg having an affair? And two, were you having an affair? Pamela said no to both. She then added, quote, I thought if the police knew I had an affair with Bill, then they would automatically conclude that I was involved in the murder. And while she is finally admitting to the affair, Pamela was claiming she broke up with Billy Just days before Greg was killed, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
3: to give him a motive. She also admitted that Billy was at her house days before the murder and that he spent time alone in her basement, suggesting he had opportunity to unlock the bulkhead doors for himself in advance, you know, to give him opportunity. When asked why she thought Billy shot her husband, Pamela said, quote, probably because he thought we could be together. Pamela admitted that Cecilia and Billy both stayed at her condo while Greg was on a trip to Atlantic City the week before his death. Cecilia believed she was invited over because of her close friendship with Pamela. She said they were like sisters. But in reality, Cecilia was invited so that it didn't look strange for Pamela to have a teenage boy staying at her house. And to that I say, whether Cecilia was there or not, still weird, Still yep. absolutely weird. Yep. Pamela admitted to loaning her car to Billy in April, which was the first time that Billy attempted to kill Greg. She also admitted to driving Billy, J.R., and Pete to Jr.'s grandmother's house the day of the murder so they could pick up the car. When asked about the wiretap recordings, Pamela said, quote, well, I figured if she knew more about the murder, then she would tell me if I acted like I knew about the murder beforehand basically she was trying to pretend that she knew what cecilia was talking about so she could trap cecilia into giving more information pamela said she wasn't acting rationally because her husband had just been murdered oh sure yeah yeah uh but if pamela was involved what was her motive The prosecution claimed that Pamela wanted out of her marriage and she wanted Greg's insurance money. After Greg's death, Pamela received $140,000, which is equivalent to about $325,000 in 2023. But Pamela testified she was happy and financially sound. She had no reason to want Greg dead. A quote from her testimony, I had every single thing that I wanted. There's not a single thing that I didn't have that I wanted. Not only that, but it's like a notion that you could just kill somebody that you married, that you loved, that you plan to spend the rest of your life with for money is just crazy to me. She added, quote, if I'm so friggin money mad, why would I be going out with a 16 year old person that doesn't even have a job? To me, it would make more sense if I had like a 40 year old lover that was like a millionaire or something. And yeah. I see Pam's point, but also no one was assuming you were with
2: Billy Flynn for life. But also she was getting money potentially so she could be with him because he didn't have any money, right? Like Mm -hmm. that plays into a motive. Like, yeah, that's so silly. Okay.
3: Yeah. Uh, I think that Greg may have been controlling and Pamela was drawn to a situation where she was the one who got to call the shots in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And if she had had an affair with a millionaire, maybe she would have just up and divorced Greg. And maybe it just wasn't the money. Maybe it was also spite for how Greg had treated her and her simply not wanting Greg to have anything. But I think that money is often a huge motivator, and I'm sure it was in this case as well. Um, A story from Greg's mother, Judy. Judy just to get a get an idea, paint a picture,
1: mm. if you
3: will. Judy said, after the wedding, Pamela invited her over to the condo. And Pamela just starts pulling out all the cards they received for their wedding. Each card had a handwritten note inside that indicated how much money that person gave as a gift. According to Judy, Pamela read through the cards like, Oh, this uncle gave me a hundred dollars. This person gave me three hundred. That sort of thing. Then she went through the smart side of the family, uh, the smart family side, I should say, of the guest list, and said, like, this person only gave thirty dollars. Do you know that thirty doesn't even pay for the price of the meal? Pamela then kept listing amounts, trying to shame Judy for how little she felt the smart family side gave them for their wedding, Judy just kept saying, okay, that's enough, you can stop. And according to Judy, Pamela just would not stop, so Judy just up and walked out.
2: Wow. Yep.
3: I cannot imagine going through any sort of gifts and complaining that someone didn't give enough. If this story is true, what a spoiled fucking brat. Which reminds me, I point out a lot in this story that Pamela was an adult and her boyfriend was a 15, 16-year-old child. But it is also good to remember, at the time, Pamela herself was only 22. Yes, legally an adult, but in a lot of ways, still a child. Old enough to know better, but young enough that her brain wasn't fully yet developed. And if she did orchestrate this whole murder... I don't give her a pass because of her age, just like I don't give Billy a pass for killing a man in cold blood, even though he was just a teenager. I do think a lot of Pamela's media interviews can be explained by the fact that she was very young when she was absolutely thrust into that media circus that she fully created for herself. Yeah. And maybe that's why Pamela seemed to show no emotion in court or during interviews. The media dubbed her an ice princess and cold as ice for her lack of emotion. Everyone grieves differently, but it just looks incredibly suspicious when Pamela is sobbing and distraught at the funeral and then zero emotion after that. Maybe it had to do with her processing everything. I don't know. But the media raked her over the coals for it. Pamela later pointed out it was unfair that her lack of emotion made her considered cold because when Jackie Kennedy did the same thing after JFK's death, she was called stoic. And to compare yourself to Jackie Kennedy is such an interesting choice. It really is. And when Cecilia Pierce testified, it came out that Not only did Cecilia know about the murder plot, she had originally tried to supply the boys with a gun. Cecilia told Billy that one of her co-workers at Papa Gino's kept a gun in the glove compartment of her car. So Billy showed up at the restaurant when that woman was working and just rummaged through her car, but couldn't find anything. Billy then allegedly went to this woman's home, and rummaged through the car again as though something might have changed. Cecilia also stated that Pamela was the mastermind behind the plan to kill Greg, but Pamela said Cecilia's lying. Pamela suggested Cecilia had a crush on Billy, and that she was mad that Billy was going to jail over this, and if Billy's going to get punished, well then Pamela needed to be punished as well. And of course, I don't know because I wasn't there, It just feels more like Cecilia idolized Pamela and wouldn't want her to go to jail. I mean, but that's speculation, so uh, who knows. But the defense team tried to push the narrative that the boys killed Greg with zero input from Pamela, claiming the boys are liars. And yes, there were inconsistencies uh, in some of their stories. Such as, I mean, the main inc- inconsistency for some reason was involving the ammo that they used. Billy testified that Pamela withdrew money from the bank and they went and purchased bullets together, but there is no record of any transaction happening. But when they first confessed to the crime, the boys said that they had talked a friend of JR's uncle into buying them hollow point bullets which they told him were for target practice. And if they can't keep something as simple as ammo straight, it's easy to conclude that they might not be telling the truth about everything else, especially when there is no record of Pamela paying them for the supposed job. So if she did hire them, they were never paid for it, which almost makes this whole thing seem darker to me for some reason. But if there is no physical evidence... It is possible that Pamela is telling the truth and that she wasn't involved, although I find that incredibly hard to believe. But through it all, Pamela has denied any involvement. She said, quote, if I was guilty, I would have pleaded guilty and plea bargained with the rest of them. Although now I'm having a quick thought. If she did, in fact, give the, the, the truck speakers to that kid. Couldn't that kid be like, hey, I got these speakers from her in exchange for that murder?
2: Yeah, but it's absolutely still her word against his, right? Well, that's the whole
3: thing of this, which is a
2: nightmare. Yeah. So, yes, I agree with you, but also... I mean, it's... Listen, I'll, I'll save it and get into it at the end, but it is fascinating just from a legal perspective. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%.
3: So, after deliberating for 13 hours the jury found Pamela Smart guilty on all counts. According to New Hampshire law, the charge of accomplice to first degree murder means an automatic life sentence with no possibility of parole. After the verdict, Pamela told her lawyer, quote, I can't believe Billy. First, he took Greg's life. Now he's taking mine. Pamela's lawyers have since tried multiple times to get a new trial, as they felt things were stacked against them in that first one, including the fact that the jury was not sequestered during the trial, and their witness, Raymond Fowler, was no longer able to testify because he got arrested. Pamela's website implies that the police only arrested Raymond to make him ineligible to testify— like it's some big conspiracy. And I, I just assumed they arrested Raymond because he openly admitted to being involved. But maybe that's just me. But her website, PamelaSmart.org, also claims that during the affair, Pamela became scared of Billy because she claims he threatened to tell Greg if Pamela ever broke up with him. Pamela said she confessed everything to Greg And they promised to work on their marriage if she was willing to break things off with Billy, which she claims she did the following day. So what happened to everybody since this time? Well, I'm going to start with Greg's parents because uh, this is just kind of insane. During the trial, Greg's mother, Judy, woke up to a phone call at 4.45 a.m. The woman on the call said her name was Linda Avery and that she was the one who had an affair with Greg. Linda claimed she lived in Milford, Connecticut, and she met Greg through work. Linda also claimed that a few months ago, she gave birth to Greg's son, whom she also named Greg. Whoa. Soon after, Linda... Dropped off an envelope at the Smart's house, and despite police telling them to keep it sealed, Judy and Bill used tweezers to remove the letter from the envelope. Inside was a photo of a baby boy who was about maybe five months old. A few weeks later, police were able to trace Linda's phone number to a house in Derry, New Hampshire. When they arrived at the woman's house, she denied any knowledge of the phone call and the smarts of all of it. Even though police noted a larger copy of that very same baby photo framed in this woman's house, the woman claimed, oh, right, I actually took a copy uh, of that photo to a bingo game and wouldn't you know someone stole it? (laughs) Which is easily the worst lie Uh, that I have heard on this show. Linda, who's of course not her real name, Uh, soon then admitted, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, she did call the smarts. Um, She didn't know Greg personally, but she had spent hours watching the trial on TV. So you want to get obsessed with a news story. Fine. Send your best friend repeated texts and voice notes about it until they wince at the sight of your name on their phone. But do not under any circumstance, ever contact the victim's family, especially to lie and get their hopes up about a potential grandchild. Fucking gross, Linda. I know that's not her name, but I don't know her name. So Linda it is. Especially when Greg's parents were so distraught over the loss of their son that they had both been put on medication to help them cope. Judy at one point was hospitalized. Her family said she was never the same after that. And Judy Smart did pass away in December 1998 from a neurological disease. Oh, dear. She was 60 at the time. Her husband, Bill, remarried a few years later and died in September 2010 at the age of 68. And before this even happened, Linda Avery also stopped the trial partway through. Because she contacted the prosecutor's office saying she was old school friends with Pamela. And Pamela had sent her a letter saying she was going to kill her husband. Linda claimed after Greg's death, Pamela contacted her and offered to pay $10,000 to get that letter back. Linda said while watching the trial, she was concerned Pamela might be acquitted. So she planned to fake the letter to try and help the case. Ah, but then she never got around to it. <laughs> wow. I, I I can't. So, <clears throat> Cecilia Pierce, who was 16 at the time of Greg's murder, was given immunity for her testimony. She is now a registered nurse living in New York. She also co-founded an animal rescue that finds loving homes for hard-to-place pets. Oh. Yeah. Raymond Fowler, who was 18 at the time of Greg's murder, was paroled in April April 2003, but sent back to prison a year later for a parole violation, which included harassment. Uh, His sentence was eventually reduced, and he was paroled in late 2005. Patrick Randall, a.k.a. Pete, was 17 at the time, was released in April 2015 after serving 25 years years. Vance Latamy Jr., known as Jr., who was also 17 at the time, was released in May 2005 after serving 15 years. Billy Flynn, who was 16 at the time, was released in June 2015 after serving 25 years. He currently lives in Maine with his wife, Kelly, whom Billy married during his incarceration. And finally... Pamela herself. Pamela was 22 at the time of the crime. During her time in prison, Pamela claims to have been sexually assaulted, thrown into walls, and beaten. Within the first few years of her being at Bedford Hills Prison, Pamela says that her eye socket was fractured in an attack and she had to have a plastic plate surgically implanted and that she no longer has feeling on the left side of her face. On a brighter note, While in prison, Pamela has earned two college degrees, including a Master of Science in Law from the Southern California University for Professional Studies in 2001, and a Master of Fine Arts in English Literature from Mercy College in 2003. She also earned a doctorate in ministry from Christian Leadership University in 2020. According to her website, Pamela, quote, accepts responsibility and is deeply remorseful for about what happened to her husband, Greg. And while that may seem almost like a confession, another part of the website clarifies that that remorse and responsibility are only regarding the affair, not Greg's death. The website states that Pamela, quote, has spent a great deal of time coming to terms with her role in the murder of her husband. Again, she still denies any involvement in orchestrating Greg's murder. Uh, but of course she believes because of her affair, it drove Billy to kill Greg on his own with no input from her whatsoever. She continues to try and get her sentence commuted in the hopes of one day being eligible for parole. But as of July, 2023, Pamela Smart remains in prison. The case of Pamela Smart was dramatized in a 1991 TV movie, Murder in New Hampshire, The Pamela Smart Story, which stars Helen Hunt as Pamela and Chad Allen as Billy Flynn. An IMDb user rated it 9 out of 10, saying, quote, It was real, it was good, but not real good. (laughs) That same user also said, quote, I wouldn't rate the movie as high as I do if Chad Allen didn't look so cute in it. Again, that person gave
2: it a 9 out of 10. Was that DP user you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it does feel like me to uh, rate a movie higher based on appeal. I did because I rate the movies I watch because I'm psycho. But um, I did recently watch, I think it's the second Ant-Man movie. Uh, I rated it half a point higher Than I would have and made a note that I did so because Paul Rudd was incredibly charming in a specific scene. (laughs) So somehow, yeah, this wasn't me, but all I'm saying is Chad Allen in the early 90s. Yes, I
2: don't even know who he is. I'll look him up. Keep going. He
3: was uh, was the oldest son on um, uh, Dr. Quinn. Dr. Quinn. Oh, He did many other things. He was also in, I think it was like Wild America or something. Yep. Yep. Wasn't he? Sure. Oh, Mm -hmm. no. I think that was Scott something. Either way. Barstaff, Borstaff. because that movie also had Devin Sawa. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And uh, JTT. That's right. Anyhow. I love it. Anyhow. Barstow. Fuck, I don't know. I'm going to have to look his name up on the break. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. Uh, The case also inspired the 1995 movie To Die For about an aspiring TV newscaster who starts an affair with a teenager and convinces him to kill her husband. The film stars Nicole Kidman, Joaquin Phoenix, Matt Dillon, and Casey Affleck. After filming, Casey brought the director a screenplay co-written by Casey's brother Ben And just like that, two years later, Goodwill Hunting was released. Wow. Reporting with 90s pop culture facts, I'm Christy Oxborough.
2: Wowzer. Well, listen, so much to dig into. Let's take one more quick, quick break, grab another drink, hit the can, and we'll be back with our final thoughts on the Pamela Smart episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We just, dis- of course, discussing Pamela Smart. Yes, as you told all of these details, I was like, I remember this now. The specific of the citrus commercial was what really had stood out to me uh, yeah. when I first uh, watched a documentary about this case. Um, I also just have to say right out of the gate, uh, I am going to go through as I always do, but I just have to say, like, it's so interesting to me that she was just so willing to be hanging out with these students. And so was her friend, right? Like her friend was around them too. And the fact that she was letting these kids stay at her house, it's all very odd behavior. And this is one of those times where I will say that it's like, had you not engaged in that behavior you probably wouldn't be where you are. Perhaps the court case could have gone another way if your husband still showed up murdered. Um, But again, it's one of those things where, you know, it it doesn't help yourself when you're engaging in that kind of behavior. My God. Um, She wasn't happy when Greg cut off his hair because he used to look like Bon Jovi. I guess I get that. That's the one place where she and I maybe overlap. Sure. Probably the beginning and the end of that. Um. Thank you for using the term marijuana cigarette (laughs) instead of joint. uh, I thought you'd like that. Really enjoyed that. that. I was going for a 90s feel of how terrifying it is. It was not lost on me. I loved it. Okay. She got the $140,000 payout and goes car shopping. The one thing I did write down at that moment was, sounds 22. And... Yeah. Again, I'm not defending any of her behavior whatsoever, but that does sound like the actions of someone whose brain is not fully stopped growing yet. Uh, Because again, regardless of whether or not she was guilty, uh, she could have engaged in that behavior either way at that age. I mean, anybody can, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, that just sounds very, very young and made me feel like, is she even a little young for her age? Which I think we know the answer to that. Yes. Um, the specific that he, she set up the memorial fund to buy high school equipment, again, I'm like, you're not helping yourself with any of these choices that you're making. Yep. Not only doing the interviews, but all of these different choices. Just, again, not great. Uh, the specific that Billy and Vance knelt in front of the casket at the wake is, what are you guys doing? What are you thinking? You're, you're yep. trying a little too hard to cover up for your actions. Um, telling the reporter, her telling the reporter the details of the crime scene, I just wrote, stop pushing, Pam. Like, this is the thing, again, and we know this from doing this show as long as we have, it's like, the harder that you push to try and make yourself seem innocent, the more you look guilty. Every time. Every single time. Um, okay. The specific of... Greg loving to push her buttons, spitting beer in her face. Again, also at the time of his death, 24. These are yes. essentially still children, for lack of a better term. Um, not literal children, but it feels like in their behavior, they probably had no business getting married at that age. It sounds like their relationship was volatile in some ways or another. Perhaps maybe wasn't uh, wasn't the move for either of them. Um, yeah. You know. um, she claimed that he slapped her. Uh, strangled her, but she later changed her story. I will just say that I, you know, it's more than possible that those were truths. Uh, just because she changed her story doesn't mean that they were lies. Um, you know, as we know, as we see in domestic violence cases, that can happen quite often. Um, and it's it's so hard to say in this because, again, you can't trust her, right? We can't trust anything she says. Right. And that's what's heartbreaking because it's like if you were in a situation where you were enduring some level of abuse... You unfortunately have lost all your credibility um, in the court of public opinion, etc. Which is, again, heartbreaking, if that is true. Uh, Just so inappropriate that she's not only hanging out with these kids outside of school, but she's having them stay in her apartment for long periods of time. Like, an entire week is a long time. Also, and I'm sorry, not trying to be shamey, but where was Cecilia's parents then? Like, are, where where were their parents? I guess, I mean, I know we, we we heard about Billy's family, so perhaps, you know, he was out of the house and that was not necessarily questioned in his household, but it just feels like a long time. A week for, for a 15-year-old, 16-year-old to be out of the house. Yes. You know oh, I fully agree. I don't know what Billy's mother may or may
3: not have known, but I know in the case of Cecilia that it was like, you know, she, Cecilia saw... Pamela as like she's she's my sister, she's my best friend kind of thing and so I wonder if her mother was like it's good for her maybe to hang out and think you're what's safer for her 15-year-old daughter than hanging out with an adult who's going to like you know who's she's she's only 22 but she's married, she has a job, she's got her life together and so maybe she it was just like I'm going for a sleepover at her house for a week. <laughs> right. Which is it's just you should not be hanging out with these children outside of Of school. course not. But it's, Of course not. It also Period. shows how young she is that it was obvious that it was like, well, when Greg's away, I'm lonely. Yeah. So here,
2: come over for a play date. And listen, 22 is very young. This is not me justifying her behavior, but it is in terms of, I'm speaking only to her mindset at the time. Um I mean, I think about myself at 22, you know what I mean? I think you're, you're, let's put it this way. It does feel like the years between 18 and 25, you are closer to high school than you are to being an adult, right? Like sure, you are closer to that energy and dynamic. College again, feels like a larger extension of high school, except then you live away from home and you're left to your own devices at an even greater degree. Like It doesn't feel like a lot of people really grow up until they're a little bit older. The problem is, is that she was an adult. She was the person in the position of power and she gave into whatever it was she was trying to feed. You know, again, people talked about her having a big ego. Obviously, um, keeping younger people around you who kind of idolize you is going to feed that ego in a massive literal way. Um, But again, you know, there's lots of other people who are are young at that age and also respect the fact that they have to create boundaries and not have teenagers hang out with them in their home for a week at a time or any amount of time. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting, again, in painting the picture of, of who she is and her mindset and all of the above. Uh, now, it's interesting to me, them putting Cecilia through all this wiretapping, the police having her do all of this wearing a wire, all of the above... The machine not recording, but the cop did get a record, a r- recording from the speaker, but of course the, the quality was bad. And look, I'm going to devil's advocate for a second, which is rare for me, but we, I also don't trust the police. So sure. I, I am not saying that that she's innocent, but I will also say personally, I don't trust the recording either. If it's really hard to hear and they made the transcription and it wasn't a neutral third party that made the transcription... It was someone in the district attorney's office. I don't. It was like a secretary or
3: clerk or somebody. Yeah. As
2: far as I can tell. And I don't trust that as far as I can throw it. That's just. Again, this is me coming at this from a completely jaded, broken true crime podcaster. That's all I'm (laughs) saying. Of course. (laughs) I mean, there is some of it. I mean,
3: some of it is audible. Right. Like some of the quotes um, I got from it, hearing it. uh, 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 audio with my ears thank you um but uh marijuana cigarette thank you uh jesus um but yes the majority like the majority would have been written out which yeah i i don't like either no i think but that also, anything that you center and i know they didn't know it was faulty but like i know
2: jesus um i also think anything that is completely audible anything that is legible however you want to word it that's admissible But to me, if it's really like you can't hear it and you're just trusting whatever, no, inadmissible. Um, And again, as I always talk about on that show, the justice system exists to protect all of us. And if we were being accused of something, we would want to have the same uh, rights afforded to all of us. Um, Okay. The specific that she was having Cecilia stay, um, not necessarily because they were friends, but because she wanted Billy to stay and she felt like it was a good cover for her. I will just say this took me back to my own teenage years where I used to get invited over to one of my friends' houses uh, when her parents were away so that she could have sex with her boyfriend. Because if I was there, her parents assumed, oh, there's no way that she's going to have sex with her boyfriend if Lauren's there. Guess again. Guess again. When I I told uh, one of my best friends in the,
3: 10th grade that I was moving away she said where are you moving to I said oh moving to moose jaw she said oh I wish you were moving to Saskatoon because then I'd just tell my parents I was going to see you so I could go sneak off and see my boyfriend what a great friend
2: (laughs) so uh (laughs) I, I, I understand your feeling. <laughs> yeah. They used to put on a movie for me or it was actually like a taped <laughs> like VHS. A yep. Babysitter. Yeah. It was a taped VHS tape of Green Day interviews. Cause I loved Green Day at the time. That is and so they would literally, occupy. they'd put it on. It would be me and her dog and we'd sit and watch and <gasps> with the snacks and then they would go and do their thing. Jesus. Yeah. Anyway, God. Uh, I guess that's the other place where Pamela and I kind of overlap, but not in the same way. Um, Okay. Look, I got to say, and I don't want it to sound like I'm defending her and I don't want it to sound like I'm saying she was innocent because I don't. But again, from a legal standpoint, there isn't any evidence here. It really is he said, she said, or they said, she said with the multiple kids. The fact yep. that there's inconsistencies in their stories, the fact that there isn't any proof of her paying them, there isn't any proof of her buying the ammo. Again, the recordings that we have, for the most part, it sounds like some of it at least should be inadmissible. I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I mean, again, it it does feel like the fact that the jury wasn't sequestered absolutely is, you know, may could be prejudicial against her they they could have been developing opinions about her all of the above um i don't know how i feel because again i'm not saying that i don't think that she was involved but i'm also saying like it's it is a little wild to me that they got a conviction on all of those charges when it's based on nothing but speculation oh i
3: can't believe that she got life with no parole and that of all of them, she's the only one still in prison. Yeah. I can't believe that. I'm not surprised that she would be considered guilty, but I thought for sure it would have been like she does 10 to 20 years and she's out, conspiracy which is not a small something. amount of time. No, but yeah.
2: again, conspiracy charges, I could see maybe. But but again, I'm like, but there's no proof. There is no evidence. And yeah. it's those kids who took the plea deal. It's their word where I want to remind you the only way they got that plea deal is by testifying against her. Yep. Is it possible? I throw out there. Is it possible that she brought up these kinds of things to him without outright saying to him, I want you to murder him? I think that's possible. I think it's possible that therefore in Pamela Smart's mind, she never hired them. She never told him to do it. And that's why she's so adamant that she's innocent because in her mind it's like, you know, I just think is it possible that she was leading him without outright being involved in the planning? I do. I do think that that's possible. That's still a crime. She should still do time. But again, to convict her on the first degree murder charge, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I
3: I think... Billy should have done the most time because he openly admits, yes. That he did. I, I shot him. Yes. Um, Pete admits he held a knife to Greg's throat when Greg was being shot. So he should do his time, yeah. And the kid who was the getaway driver, all of that. Um, but yeah, I still, I mean, I think she should have done some time, but I, the time she's still doing is wild to me. Um, I just don't. Uh, there's just so much about her that I don't trust, but I also don't trust those kids either. But it is more than possible that it's the two of them spending time together um, because she did openly admit in court that at the time she believed she was in love with Billy. Right. So it is possible that, you know, they're hanging out together and then it's like, well... You have to leave because Greg is coming home and I hate that he's always around and I hate that he's come between us and stuff like that. And it's also possible at some point, Greg did something to tick her off and she
2: was like, God, I could kill that man. Totally. And say, like, I want to get a divorce, but, you know, um, I don't know. He'll take me for everything. And it feels like the only way out of this would be for him to die, but not saying, and I want you to kill him. I mean, that's possible. I mean, she also yeah. could have. But but again, my whole point is is just from an impartial legal standpoint, regardless sure. of taking our own opinions about whether or not we think she did it, to me, yeah. I don't think that they had enough to get the conviction that they did. I think it was based on opinion, which is not how the legal system is supposed to work. Sure. Yeah. Oh,
3: I can't believe they never got, like, a second trial. I yes. can't believe they're, they have repeatedly denied her to try and... Even just get her sentence changed enough that she could potentially get parole, or just be offered the option of parole, or the option to
2: apply for yeah. parole. Because right now we... she can't even apply, right? And I also know that we we've heard stories where there is evidence, and the people yep. wouldn't, don't necessarily ha- would potentially be out by now. There's also that, yep. right? So I don't yep. know. It's just it's really it's just interesting to me again. From that legal standpoint, because it really just feels like everybody decided that she was guilty, and they were like, "Let's call, again, thirteen hours is nothing to come back with a verdict." It feels like they all had made up their minds when they went into that deliberation oh, room. I'm sure of it. And uh, yeah, again, I just always think that setting legal precedents is is a risky thing. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was, why was Raymond even needed? Why did they need two getaway drivers? Was his only function cleaning the gun? Um,
3: seems like it. I don't think they needed him. Yeah. It just felt like he overheard them, which don't talk about it when no. there are other people. No. But he overheard them. But then he immediately went, you know what? I want in. Yeah. I'm I'm absolutely in. Absolutely. And then I guess they were like, Well, we're gonna do it. And he's like, Great, pick me up. Which
2: what are you doing?
3: Oh, why? Why?
2: Um, two other quick things. One, I wrote down, I never wince at your texts and don't say that I do. It could never happen.
3: <laughs> oh, you you picked up on, on, uh, on that, which look, that was more of a, oh, I know, I, of an adorable Barb, of course. But, uh, course. but yeah, that absolutely was in reference to my, uh frantic texts to you for the last week.
2: Well, the thing is, is that I frantically text you most days. So it's also like, you're due. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You're due. But this Um, is like,
3: hey, that thing that you don't care about, here's everything I know.
2: And guess what? As soon as I heard that, I said, well, I care about it now because you do. (laughs) You did. That's the great thing about you. I mean, one of the many great things about you. How quick you're on board. On board. You tell me it matters to you. I'm like, I'm all in. Both feet, baby. Both feet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, last thing I wanted to say, again, her being assaulted in prison, I mean, that is horrifying. And oh, my God, yeah. I don't think that anyone deserves that based on any crime that you would do that would wind you up in prison. You don't deserve to be sexually assaulted. You don't deserve to be badly beaten um, to yep. the point that you have to have reconstructive surgery on your face. Um, yep. And, you know... My hope, honestly, at that point is that, well, I hope she is guilty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just what I thought because it was like, that's just such. A, and again, even if she is, no, she still doesn't deserve any of that, period. Um, but yeah. how tragic it would be if the truth is, is that she did, she is innocent and this is, this has become her story is that that's how she's living. Just feels yeah. like an additional thing. But what it all comes back to at the end of the day was, Don't (laughs) feel like Arrested Development. That's why you leave a note. A note. Don't have teenagers stay at your house. Don't have sex Uh, with teenagers. Like there was things that you could have done that would uh have not gotten you embroiled in this. And I'm not saying that you're paying for those. uh, But in a sense, you know, karmically, it feels like you got yourself into this situation regardless of whether you did it or not. So 100%. Yeah. But listen, um, fascinating Fascinating case, fascinating details. Yeah. I feel like, again, uh, big refresher for me. Big refresher for me, which I really appreciate it. Did you have any other final yeah. thoughts or feelings? Uh, not really. It's just she, I find her fascinating for many reasons.
3: But um, she, one of the things in an interview, uh, she said how everybody has made up their mind that she's guilty right away. And how every single time people talk about this case, they it, it's never called the Greg Smart case. It's always the Pamela Smart case. And that it's just forever that, and this is something that, even if she ever got out, will forever follow her. And I'm just surprised that at this point she hasn't gone back to using her maiden name. Mm, mm-hmm because i think her maiden name is far less known. Right. So i just feel like if you want to take away that let like that notoriety as it were, maybe consider it. Yeah. You know, like if you don't want oh god, pamela smart, then don't be pamela smart anymore.
2: I guess what are i don't know what are the legalities of that while you're in prison? I guess you can change your name in prison. Can you, I would assume because technically she's, is single.
3: Like, I guess she'd be considered widowed, but I would think you'd be able to in a case like that. I guess, I mean, it's possible. Yeah, maybe it's because she's in person that she can't, but, uh, and look, you want to be, you want to have the same last name, have the same last name.
2: But yeah, i just no, saying I hear what you're it's saying surprising to yes. distance
3: yourself from it a little bit.
2: Yes. And who knows, maybe someday she will get out and that will be the first thing she does. I think. Well, yeah, that would be my advice to her. But yeah, somehow I feel like if she did ever get out, she'd probably call that reporter to immediately do an interview. So.
3: Oh, yeah. 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 Doing an interview on your wedding anniversary six days after your husband was murdered. And then being like, so do you want to get a shot of me pulling the cake out of the freezer? I know. Like that to me, I'm like, oh, that's, that's wild. Yeah. I'm not giving an interview six days later. She even gave
2: interviews less time. Yeah. It's, it's It's again, doesn't help her case is the whole point is that it's like you, you made yourself look so guilty that either way. Unfortunately, you really painted yourself into a corner with your behavior. Yep. That again. 100%. Well, listen, Christy Oxborough, fantastic research as always. We so appreciate all your work. 10 out of 10, hit it out of the park.
3: As always, you are too kind. I speak the truth.
2: And we thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this journey. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails. On Twitter at Not Detectives. We're also over on Patreon at Patreon.com slash True Creme and Cocktails, where we have a subscription-based bonus episode service over there. Didn't really word that very well, but you know what I'm saying. And the only place for True Crime and Cocktails merch is TrueCrewMerch.com, so check that out as well if you're interested. Uh, Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode?
3: On the next True Crime and Cocktails, abducted in plain sight.
2: Truly the wildest documentary I think I've viewed in some time. Uh really cannot wait to get into this one and this is of course our may patrons poll pick again over on patreon you can vote for one of the cases that we cover over here on the show per month so again check that out if you're interested christy do you want to say goodnight to the people good night scott Berstow. Ooh. good night joaquin phoenix mm. <laughs> why not